The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 120 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedus, along with my co-host, the CISO of Siena, Andy Benello. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed in the show are my own and not my present or past employers. I will never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I've been privileged to as a result of my current employment, and I will never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government, and nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Before we get started, I remind our listeners you can go online at the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at their very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest interesting news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at CSHUB.com. Well, we had a great topic last week. We had some great guests on the show. And that was, I guess, to round out the, the first month of 2020. We're off to a great start. We had Max Deaton. He's the North American lead for Context. And Henry Prince, the senior security consultant for Context, who both joined episode number 119, to talk about the importance and value of conducting red team exercises. So it's one of my favorite topics. I like to say this is where all the cool kids hang out. Uh, A lot of people in cybersecurity like to talk about this uh, topic and actually work on these teams because it is rather exciting. And I loved having these guys on. Context is one of my favorite companies. Uh, We're partnering with them with Task Force 7. They sponsor the show. They are really good at what they do, folks. They're really good at what they do. They're good people. And after listening to Max and Henry last week, it's really not hard to figure out why. So Deaton and Prince unpacked for our audience what red teaming really means and what are the rules of engagement when bringing an adversarial mindset to a problem. So that was an interesting discussion. And also how to open source intelligence that could be used to conduct successful exercises. So the duo also explained what sophisticated criminals do with all this data that they steal. I mean, I think our audience is really interested in this topic for a couple of reasons. One, I think first, I think people want to know what happens to all their pedigree after it is compromised and how it may be used against them to hurt them in any, any way. And secondly, because there is so much compromised data floating around out there that folks are curious as to how it's stored. How is it stored? How is it shared and sold and even prioritized so that the criminals can maximize their earning potential off their stash. And that's right, that's right, I said it, maximize their earning potential. And no, I'm I'm not talking about someone's professional career. I'm talking about sophisticated, complex, cyber-organized crime groups making sure they get every dollar that they can from their efforts of stealing money from innocent, hardworking folks like yourself. So, 
We also had a conversation about password managers and the role in preventing wider exposure to your internet presence. Truth be told, I don't know how anyone operates today without a password manager. I find it impossible to do so. Absolutely impossible. I mean, I don't know how you could do it, especially if you have any significant internet presence at all. I really recommend you use one of these password managers. But we also broke down the use of multi-factor authentication. And there's been a lot of articles lately and there's been a lot of rumors going around and some of it's really not rumors, it's stories based on the fact that the FBI is saying that multi-factor authentication can be broken. And I asked them whether or not MFA is still a valid defense protocol to decrease your chances of being victimized by these cyber organized crime groups. Um, and I think you'll be very interested in hearing what they had to say, folks. So if you hadn't heard the episode yet, be sure to queue it up in the TF7 library of your favorite social media platform, or I'm sorry, your play, favorite playback uh, platform. That's Context Cybersecurity Executives Matt Deaton and Henry Prince on last week's episode. That's episode number 119 of Task Force 7 Radio. Well, if you're listening to us live right now on Voice America, or maybe someone just sent you the link to this episode, you might be wondering how you can listen to all the previous Task Force 7 Radio episodes on playback. Just go to our new TF7 Radio site at www.tf7radio.com and hit the episode tab at the top of the homepage. You can find all the TF7 Radio episodes at your fingertips. You can also search our guest library, which is the most impressive list of some of the most prolific cybersecurity professionals in the world. And of course, we have our news section as well, where you can check out all the latest cybersecurity news and news on Task Force 7 Radio. And you can interact with other TF7 Radio listeners, which is always a lot of fun. So check us out, folks www.tf7radio.com to hear any of our episodes at your convenience 24-7, 365, anytime, anywhere around the globe. And whatever you do, don't forget to subscribe. We love it when you subscribe. So we've got a fantastic show for you this evening. I'm really excited about it. Tyler Cohen Wood is going to be with us. Tyler Cohen Wood is a cyber authority with 20 years of highly technical experience, 13 of which she spent working for the Department of Defense. As a keynote speaker, author, blogger, and national security expert and overall cyber authority, she is relied on to provide unique insight into cyber threats, cyber warfare, mitigating cyber risk, national security, and ensuring industries have the tools and knowledge they need to defend themselves in the digital world. So Tyler sits on several cybersecurity boards, uh, cyber advisory boards, such as the EC Council Global Advisory Board, in the CyberSec Conference Advisory Board. And in January 2019, she was included in the Cybersecurity Ventures list of top 25 cybersecurity experts to follow on social media in 2019. So she's doing something really interesting. I'm going to ask her about it uh, this evening. Tyler is launching Cyber Girl Power. So that's a conference to get girls excited about cybersecurity. This is something that we talk about a lot. Uh, and also, it's, it's, it's aimed at teaching them how to protect themselves in the digital domain, give them hands-on cybersecurity experience, and help them to become the next generation of cybersecurity leaders. So prior to that, she worked for uh, AT&T. She was a, a director of cyber risk management, uh, the cyber risk management group there. She also worked as an executive director at Cyber Vista and as a deputy cyber division chief of the special communications division and the DIA science and technology Technologies Directorate, which is great there. She was a subject matter expert. So I think 
this experience is tremendous to have on the show. We're lucky to be able to have her to come on and talk to us about all these different things. Um, she's also responsible for developing and leading many interagency working groups and task forces to develop and assess and deconflict advanced technical capabilities and techniques currently being used by U.S. Special Forces and the intelligence community to conduct special operation missions. So she wrote a book recently. It's called Catching the Catfishers, Disarm the Online Pretenders, Predators, and Perpetrators Who Are Out to Ruin Your Life. And this also teaches people how to safely and successfully navigate the online world, protect themselves, protect their children and their businesses, and also protect their privacy. So I'll ask her about that. And finally, Tyler's all over the place. Her expertise is highly sought after, both as a guest and as a writer for national and local television, radio, print, and online media. She's appeared on TV all across the board. Good Morning America, Fox and Friends, CNN, Fox, CBS, ABC, NBC. Uh, she's also appeared in, in the Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, and, and Huffington Post. And I'm really excited to have her here. So without any further ado, it's my pleasure to welcome to the show, Mrs. Tyler Cohen-Wood. Tyler, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Well, we're very happy to have you. We're really excited about this, this episode and some of the things that we're going to be talking about. But, um, you know, after, after reading some of your bio and talking about some of your history, you have such a fascinating career path. It's really amazing. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into cybersecurity to begin with? Well, it's interesting. <clears throat> um, I was always kind of a nerd growing up. I was always really interested in Star Trek. Um, I used to <laughs> tape every single episode, and one day I realized I really was kind of a nerd because my mom asked what my cataloging system was because it didn't make sense to her. <laughs> and I looked at her like she was an idiot, and I was like, I catalog them by star date as if it was the most obvious thing. <laughs> <laughs> but so I, I actually, the job that I do today and the job that I did shortly um, after school, it just didn't really exist as a program in college. Um, and I started off in a completely different career path, but got very interested in cybersecurity, moved to San Francisco, which in the early 2000s, late 90s, that was the only place that you could really go without any background and learn. And boy, did I learn and just kind of kept moving up, got very interested in cybersecurity, uh, moved to DC, started working for the Department of Defense. And I was there for about 13 years in different capacities. And um, I eventually ended up at the Defense Intelligence Agency, where I was a deputy chief for one of the divisions that we, we had there, and um, done a lot of writing, speaking. I really have had kind of an interesting career, haven't I? Yeah, it's been, it's been, you've been sort of pivoting, you know, from, think, you know, from industry to industry in some respects. You did the government, you did some private um, you obviously have done some writing. Uh, you got a fantastic book out. We'll get to that in a minute. But I, you know, I, I find it that people can reinvent themselves more often than they actually think they can. I mean, what did you study in college? I was a history sociology major, and <laughs> fantastic. I was I was going to be a rock star. I worked for a radio station all through college. I interned. I worked for a record label as an intern, and um, I. 
I just loved it. I was one of those blue haired um, people that just, I loved like the whole, if someone had heard of one of my bands, then I just didn't like him anymore. I was one of those. <laughs> so it was a very different, different career path I started off uh, doing. <laughs> I love how people come on the show and figure out how cool they are. <laughs> That's the best. I used to be, I was, I used to be very cool. <laughs> When I first when I first started um, getting into cybersecurity, it was it was a long time ago. I had this this network in my house. I had a bunch of um, Sun, Solaris, Solaris machines. I had Linux. I, I had an entire like crazy network in my in my house. <laughs> wow, yeah. It took me a long time to to actually get into computers. I didn't, I didn't really start really getting into computers until I was in the Secret Service and started going to some very extensive training on on computer forensics. But but man, this is like you have such an interesting story. So what are you doing today? Like, what's your daily look like? Like, what's what are you doing in the next couple of weeks? Like, what what are you doing now? <laughs> the next couple of weeks, yeah. I do um, a lot of keynote presentations. I do a lot of conferences. Um, I speak to all different kinds of verticals, all the way from um, town halls for teaching um, people of an older generation how to use technology, all the way to, you know, some of your Fortune 100 companies, what they can do to help secure their their business. Um, I'm writing. I also do consulting. I create training programs. And I also am starting a new business called Cyber Girl Power, which is a conference for young girls to get interested in cybersecurity and to also learn how to protect themselves in this online domain. So this is very interesting. I mean, we're always asking ourselves, how can we get more women and girls involved in STEM careers and industries? Is this the way to do it? Is this the goal of, of what you're trying to do? Or is this a piece, of, a piece of the whole thing that you're putting together? Well, I think it's a piece of the whole puzzle. Um, but by getting girls in a conference setting where they're actually learning how to use these different tools hands-on, like they'll learn how to hack, they'll learn forensics, all the way to lock picking, but also they'll learn techniques on how to tell if who they're talking to online is actually who they say they are. And it's incredibly important. I mean, everything that we do or touch has some cybersecurity component to it. And we really need to get more girls and boys interested in this type of technology to really be our next future thought leaders. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So you just wrote a book. And, uh, and it's called Catching the Catfishers, Disarm the Online Pre uh, Pretenders, Predators, Perpetrators Who Are Out There to Ruin Your Life. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, it's, oh, okay. You know, it's, when you read the title, you're like, okay, maybe I need to know about this. Um, tell, tell me what prompted you to write this book. Well, I, I worked for the Department of Defense Cybercrime Center doing digital forensics and I kept in touch with all of the agents that I supported and one of the agents told me, he called me when I had moved to DA because we just talked all the time. He told me this horrible story where they had, they had got a guy who he was um, in his late 40s 
and they got him for distribution of child porn. And as the forensic investigator was looking through the computer, he saw that this guy was having conversations regularly with a young girl who was 11. And he knew everything about this girl. And he had convinced her that he knew her. And obviously, there was huge concern. How did he know all this information? And it turns out that this guy had been going to the mother's social media pages, her blogs, her dating sites. And at the time, she had no privacy settings on. on. She had um, one of her sites, you could download photographs that had EXIF data, which would show the exact location of where these photos were taken. And he was able to use this information to convince this girl that he knew her. Now, fortunately, they never met up because they got him for something else before. But obviously, that was a huge concern. And so I said to him, to the agent, I said, hey, hey Tom, um, <clears throat> isn't there a book or something that parents and kids can use to help protect them, to teach them how to protect themselves online, vet of who they're talking to, who they say they are, and to really understand and the dangers and be able to be empowered with knowledge to be able to protect themselves. And I couldn't find that book. So I wrote it. Wow. That's great. That's great. So if I asked a general question, I mean, we could probably do a whole episode on this and maybe even a few episodes on it, but I just want to just sort of skim the surface, even if we can, what can parents do to keep their kids safe online? Right. But not only on their computers at home, but I, because obviously you, people, parents set up systems where they could see what their kids are doing on the computers and they put the computers in a strategic place in the, in the house so that it's always in their view, but also on their smartphones when they're out of the house and away from parental supervision. What, what can parents do? Well, I think one of the most important things that parents can do is they, can, they need to talk with their kids and collaborate with them so that it's, it's something that they're doing together and go through checklists like the ones that I have in, in my book. Um, there's a lot of apps that um, parents can use that are great for monitoring and also putting safety features on the different devices, but it isn't going, there's always going to be another way in, like uh, maybe the kids going on YouTube and they're, or they're playing some, some game that um, is, is child friendly, but there's, they're trading animals or something like that with other people. Well, they don't necessarily know who those other people are. And that's why it's, it's really critical to talk to kids about the issues and make it a comfortable situation so that they can come to you. Because I know a lot of kids, I've talked to a lot of kids about this, and they say, well, we can always get around that because I can just use my parents, my, my, my friend's phone, or, you know, they have an account their, their parents may not know about. So aside from having, you know, the parenting apps, you want to make sure that you're friends with them on all their social media, and you really want to have that conversation with them so that they're in this with you because there's always going to be, be a way that kids are going to try are, are going to use to try to get around things. So having them trust you that they're not going to get in trouble for something is really the best thing that you can do as a parent. 
Yeah, you know, even even the TVs that you buy at the store today are all, all equipped with YouTube apps, and there's all kinds of apps on there, and the kids have access to these things if they have access to that TV. Um, exactly, and these yeah. are things parents need to know what the kid what what kids are using and where they're going to get um, you know their information or what they're doing that they may not have thought about. Just like you said, you know, on the smart TVs, there's the YouTube app. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And so um, my kids recently found it. <laughs> and so, you know, and so I walked, I was walking down the hall and I heard something that uh, was kind of strange and, you know, shouldn't have been coming from one of my kids' room. It's all, it's all over. It's all over. So I'm like, what is this? So, <laughs> so what, what did you do? Well, I said, so I just walked in. I said, well, what are you doing? And they said, well, I, you know, I found the, the YouTube on my computer, on my, on my, on my TV. I said, oh, okay. And I don't think, like, they were trying to be doing something nefarious on purpose. No. Because they have YouTube on their iPads, and it's, you know, they have the, the, um, the controls on there. So, you know, so they have YouTube for kids, um, you know, whatever that is. So I, I don't know if they really put, oh, I got YouTube, and they went on there, and they started scrolling through it and just started playing everything. Oh. And so I was like, well, maybe I have to, you know, figure this out, what I'm going to do with this. So, um, <clears throat> but, yeah, it was like a new problem. I didn't get, you know. I didn't tell them, like, oh, you did something bad or anything. Because I tried to talk to them, like you said. You know, parenting is hard. Like, you never know if you're doing the right thing, certainly. I feel like every day, like, I'm just a newbie at it. Like, every single day. Like, never, you know. And, and, and that's how, how everybody else feels, too. And, and I mean, I mean you, just, you really did the right thing. Because you don't want to say that you did something wrong, because then they're not going to trust you. So, it, it really is all about, all about parenting. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of how the conversation went down. And so, and then I didn't even, I didn't even take any immediate action. I kind of wanted to think about how we're going to do this and, and go forward. So, but uh, yeah, so much to talk about. I think we can, maybe we'll have you back to do a whole episode on this and maybe I got some follow-up questions too for the, for right. the uh, second episode. But right now we got to transition into commercial break, but stick with us folks. Lots more to come here on this episode of Task Force 7 Radio. So, hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio, and you'll be connected to the extended TF7 family. For any inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email me directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis at tf7, that's with the number 7, radio.com. I want to remind our audience that we're building the world's premier cybersecurity professional network, Task Force 7. I'm really excited about this, folks. Tune in over the next several months for more information on this much needed and much awaited for network. We're going to solve some problems together, I promise you. Task Force 7, get in the fight. We're going to pause with some quick messages from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with our special guest, author and national security expert, Tyler Cohen Woods. Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. 
in business. Staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. Email is having an identity crisis. It's just too easy for attackers to spoof trusted brands or even the government. That's why over 80% of email attacks are based on fake identities. The solution is to stop the fakes before they get to the inbox. That's why enterprises use Valley Mail. It's a trusted identity-based email security solution. Find out if your domain can be spoofed and request a complete free phishing analysis at valleymail.com. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure. Security-innovation.org or Google Signet S-I-N-E-T. Context Information Security knows that your development and engineering teams move quickly. Security testing should empower them, not slow them down. What you need is a solution that integrates their objectives and supports the bottom line. Getting your product out while protecting your customers and your brand. While traditional penetration testing is a great way to assure your systems after they've been built, it doesn't work for everyone. That's why at Context, we offer continuous security testing to help you build it right the first time. In fast-moving environments, continuous security testing allows your team to focus on the things that matter. Secure, agile development, speed of innovation, and building security into your products and systems from the ground up. Context has been helping organizations tackle the most complex security challenges for more than 20 years. Visit us today at contextis.com to learn more about how we can help you. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America.
You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Ritas. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's Task Force 7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Ritas. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, author and national security expert, Tyler Cohen-Wood. So, Tyler, we're going to talk about a whole bunch of different things uh, on, uh, on this uh, segment of the episode because I want to take advantage of you being here with us and your diverse experience. So, I'm kind of be jumping all over the place, um, covering a, a host of different topics, but I want to start out with phishing, which is, you know, obviously uh, one of the biggest attack vectors that people use to try to commit some of these large uh, data breaches. Why do you think people still fall for phishing emails and, and, and these types of scams? And have you ever fallen for one? Well, the answer to that question is, you know, phishing is essentially social engineering. <clears throat> and we're human. And we have some of the best security awareness programs out there that teach people security awareness. Um, and for a while, I kind of didn't understand why this is so prevalent and why people fall for this all the time. But then I had an incident where I actually fell almost for a phishing scam. And what I realized by this happening is that we're all human. So I had a really bad week. And I talked to people all over the world about how to, the things they can do to help prevent themselves for falling for something like this. And I had a bad week. Um, <clears throat> my, my dog had passed away. I had the flu. Yeah. Uh, we had gotten a new puppy. So things were just absolutely insane. And I got an email that um, asked if I was interested in a speaking engagement. And I was like, absolutely. Yeah, this sounds, sounds great. And I should have, I, I, I just was going with it. And um, I gave them a fee that was something that I didn't, I, I thought they would maybe want to negotiate because usually people do and they didn't. So there were, there were some red flags. And then I actually got sleep one night and they had said in the email, well, you, you need to get a work visa to come do this presentation in the UK and you get the visa and we'll set it up for you and then we'll pay you and then, you know, you'll come out here. And I was like, wait a minute, wait, what? <laughs> There's no reason why I need a work visa to do a presentation in the UK. And I started looking at it and every single red flag was there. The, the strange language, the kind of bad feeling, this seemed really weird. Um, some of the, the links that fortunately I didn't click were um, not necessarily going to the place they intended to go to. So it turned out that it was a scam. But what I realized is that security awareness training is great at what it does, but we need something more because we're human and we all have bad days. And, you know, a lot, most people have, have jobs, they have kids, they are really busy and they're not always 
they're they're 100%. Oftentimes people are are trying to do their jobs or navigate life at, you know, 50%. And they're not always aware. They're not always thinking about all of the different things that you want to look for, such as, you know, is the link going to where it's claiming to go to? Is something a little off here? So I I find that's, I find this is, this is exactly the problem with people who are really busy and have a lot of email every day. Because they fly through it. They fly through the email and they just mm-hmm. click, 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 click. And sometimes they come on, they come, you know, they open an email real quick. Or they see the link that maybe you've been there. You know, maybe if it looks familiar, especially when, uh, I think when uh, some of the corporations do anti-phishing exercises and they send the emails out, they do really good ones because they know what everybody's going to click on, you know? Right. <laughs> okay. So it's hard, like, you know, if you're just in a, you know, uh, sitting there and, and you're at your desk and you're flying through these emails, especially on a Monday morning, there's just hundreds of them, um, you could easily fall for the scam. So I guess the, 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 the trick is to slow down a little bit and try to be aware of, you know, hey, is this really the sender? Is that really the domain that that person uh, should be sending the email from and things like that? But it's hard. It's really, really hard. Um, what do you think are some of the biggest challenges businesses and people face as there becomes more and more technology that is just being introduced into the marketplace? Well, some of the big issues are kind of what we were talking about is um, how to keep up with all the latest threats when we're really being faced with information overload. And it's people, most people are not cybersecurity people. And I used to think that everyone was as obsessed as keeping up with all the latest threats as I was until I started asking people um, in different verticals, HR, finance, whatever they, they, they do, how often do you think about cybersecurity in your, your day-to-day? And they said, the only time I think about cybersecurity is when I can't get an email out, my boss is, on my, uh, is, is yelling at me to get this thing out, and I can't do it because there's some firewall rule that's not letting me send this, this out. So it's a very different perspective. And we have to find a way to sort of merge these perspectives because, like I said before, everything that we do touches cyber and it is no longer okay to not have a basic set of knowledge. We have to start enhancing our cybersecurity knowledge as, as people. Is there a certain numbness to, to this at this point with folks with everything in the news? I mean, what, what's your take there? My take is that, yes, there's, there is numbness and, you know, people see this company got hacked this day. There's this threat. There's this threat. There's this threat. And people do. They tune out because we're people and they don't have time to learn every single possible um, way that a hacker can get in. And as we rely on technology more and more and incorporate more technology into our daily lives, even the most secure technology in the world is not going to be secure. It may be secure today, but it may not be tomorrow. And we've seen this happen, you know, time and time again. So a lot of times when we talk on the show, we, we talk about what corporations can do and big organizations can do to enhance their defense and depth security posture. But there's a lot of people out there that, you know, don't work for these big corporations or maybe don't even have responsibility in cybersecurity in these companies, but they listen to the show because they're interested in cybersecurity. They're interested in national security and in geopolitical topics that involve 
cybersecurity. So I want to ask, what, what are some of the things that a person can do to enhance their own personal cybersecurity for them or their families? What can they do right now? Right now, um, they want to, uh, you want to get to know your phone. Um, you want to look at hmm. what different permissions, what applications, what permissions different applications have and see if they have permissions that maybe you don't want them to have. Maybe the program that you use um, for navigation really does not need access to your contact list. So you want to go through and sort of turn those off. But right now, one of the biggest things I would recommend is going and turning off um, the auto-joining feature for Wi-Fi and hotspots and services that you're just not using. Um, I would also say get a credit monitoring service. And at home, I would highly recommend um, segmenting off your IoT devices, the smart TV, the personal assistant like the Alexa, or um, you know, your smart microwave onto a different network, a guest network, and keep your you know, work computer or things that are much more, need to be more secured on a much more secure different network at home. And I would also say, create a home security plan. I know that sounds kind of bizarre, but what do you do if suddenly um, ransomware pops up on your screen right after you've clicked a link? And go over it with your kids too. Um, do you just immediately pull the plug to contain it? Do you, um, do you uh, try to just turn off the network card so that you can still capture any data forensically if that's maybe what your work policy says to do? Um, also, just think about all of the different devices that you use on a daily basis and the information that can be collected on you. And you want to do this whether you're, you're traveling, whether you're at home, and you want to always be kind of thinking about these things. Yeah, no doubt. You know, you just remind me of a situation when I was in the Secret Service. We were sitting in an ops room, and uh, there was an um, undercover uh, a confidential informant in another room that was adjacent to us talking to some cyber-organized crime uh, folks. And uh, we had some people in there with him and everybody had the screen, to, you know, monitor what was going on in that room because this person was very fast and very um, like lightning speed on the computer. And so we had to have everybody watching him in all the times. He's one of the most prolific criminals in the world. But it, it, what happened was our own MLAT, which is a mutual legal assistance treaty or, uh, document to another country came up on the screen that I actually wrote and went through the state department and <laughs> when we saw it, I was like, wait, wait a minute, whose screen is that? Like, I, I couldn't, like, it took me a couple minutes to actually comprehend, you know, that, it's, that some criminal had our MLAT and what we were going to do about it at that time, you know, and so there was no plan for that <laughs> at the moment. You know, I just went around unplugging everything immediately because who knows, I, I didn't know exactly what was going on at that, at that point, right? So I think if you think about these things, and the same thing goes for home security, if you think about these things when they happen, or before they happen, you'll be much more prepared to respond to them, especially when it comes to ransom, ransomware. I think if you just back up everything, you'll be in a much better place. It's a lot easier to back up your stuff at your house than it is in a, at a you know, 300,000 person organization, so to speak, right? But yes, yes. There's so, yeah, so there's so many dangers out there, right? Do you think the country is in danger from a major cybersecurity attack? And if so, 
Who was most likely to launch that attack, in your opinion? Well, I mean, think about the major players, the major uh, nation-state actors. Um, <clears throat> I think that, that we all kind of know, know where, where a lot of these are, are, are coming from. Um, and yes, I, we are. But I think sometimes the attacks are, are more subtle than we may think. Um, like in terms of um, some people think, oh, well, if a hack happens, then we're going to know because the power grid's taken off. But hacks can be a lot more subtle than that. For example, maybe they just manipulate information such as um, if, you know, it's, a, a water treatment center. Maybe they change, get in and change some of the settings so something's being put in the water that should not be put in the water. So I think a lot of the attacks that we're going to see are going to be more subtle like that. And I also think that... Yeah, but that's not even a subtle are, attack though, right? I mean, if something's in the water that's not supposed to be, they could, could, could kill or... That's true. Yes, that's, that's true. People. That was just, I mean... We have the usual suspects, right? We have Russia, China, Iran, yep. North Korea. You know, those are all the usual suspects, maybe a few more. Um, where do you think the attack's most likely to come from? Um, I think that attacks are, are going to be coming from all of those, those suspects that you just said. And as uh, the political landscape gets, um, as we get closer and closer to the election, I think that we're going to see more and more of these hacks. And I mean, I don't want to forget about things like banking, healthcare, or anything that affects, you know, people on a day-to-day -day basis. Those are all available for attack and could cost, you know, cause mass panic. And that is an attack as well as, you know, something where they're going after the power grids, which we've seen happen. We've seen all of these different things happen. And the more that we're reliant on technology and not integrating with the technology, just statistically, the more threats we're going to have. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, one of the most respected cybersecurity professionals in the world, at least in my opinion, Kevin Mandia, it's also a friend of mine, I've known him for a long time, was on TV, you know, a few months ago saying that if Russia and the United States got into a cyber war, that Russia would win. And man, that got a lot of people's attention, at least it should have got a lot of people's attention and uh, certainly got mine. And one of the reasons that he gave is that we're much more dependent on the internet for critical services than Russia is. And, uh, so I thought that was very interesting, and I thought, you know, start to think about how that would play out and what each individual can do, because everybody has an individual responsibility here. The government can't do everything. Exactly. Sure, the, the government's responsible for offensive, you know, cybersecurity attacks if that ever happened, and who knows where that line is. No one's, drew, you know, drew that line in the sand yet, and I don't think it's been, you know, formalized and uh, communicated in a way that everybody understands, hey, you cross this line, and it's go time, you know? But... Um, I think right now um, everybody has a responsibility and uh, to do uh, what they can. Even even like corporations are responsible for defending themselves. The government doesn't defend Fortune 500 companies; they defend themselves, right? right? But I picked up the. I looked in the news today and I saw there was more and more about privacy and Facebook was just oh, getting yeah. slammed again. I'm mean, slammed. <clears throat> I mean, I I don't know. And, and some of this is I don't think maybe look. 
they have a lot of problems with privacy. Don't get me wrong. And I don't want to sound like I'm defending them or anything, but man, some of this is way overboard, I think. What do you think about privacy and all the data that, it, that is collected on us? So what, what could people do right now about you know, like being on Facebook and LinkedIn and everything else? Well, the problem is the cat's kind of already out of the bag. And, um, you know, it's interesting because my book came out um, in uh, late 2014 and I talked about this. I warned about this as being something that could potentially be a problem. I talked about the different things that are being collected on people that they probably don't even know are being collected because no one reads the terms of service. And it's at the point now where there is so much information that is being collected on us that Companies, businesses can build these very, very accurate profiles of us, and they tend to know things that we may not even know about ourselves because the algorithms that are used are so good at what they do. And, I mean, I think the best thing that we can do now is really kind of know, de- know your devices, get to know them, and, and what services, what different services that you use are collecting on you. But at some point there is going to have to be some sort of policing or some sort of regulation on what happens with this personal information because it's a commodity. And it, I, I foresee that we will, have, we will hit a point where people own their data and they can sell it if they want to because it's worth, it's worth quite a bit of money to a lot of companies. So you think we're going to get to the point where people are going to be able to sell their own data? I do. I do think that we will get to that point. But the issue that we have now is, well, what do we do about what's going on now? Like I said, the cat's out of the bag, and it's kind of hard to put it back in. Information's already been sold to third parties, or information has already been collected that um, – you know, is sitting somewhere in some, some data lake. And, you know, a lot, of, a, a lot of times you're relying on the privacy protection and the security of companies that we freely give our data to to protect that data. And sometimes we don't even think about some of the data that we're giving. For example, if you post a picture on a social media site, even if they strip out that EXIF data that I was talking about, the location data, they're still getting that information in those pictures and there's, it's still being collected. Device IDs, where you are at any given time, um, even who you're with, all of this information is, is very easily obtained by these services. And there's going to have to be something that we start now to prevent some of these future collections of, of private information. It's interesting because, you know, you figure the incentives to give your information are, are always there, especially in the consumer world. Look, I mean, Disney has one of the largest databases of fingerprints in the world, right? Because people want to discount the hop from park to park, right? So, like, I don't think that's going to change. But if you have a way to monetize your own data, I think that's going to be an interesting business model to look at. I think it's going to be an extremely interesting business model. And I, I do think that that is where we're going. I think social media, there, the way that it things are done now is is going to change. 
Is there a way to quantify how much information is really out there about us? I mean, how easy is it to put together a profile on somebody if you wanted to? It's extremely easy to put a profile together on us. Think about every device that you use, your phone. Think about all the information that is on your phone and who, what different entities have access to all of that information and all of the different services that we use collect tons of data about us. I think Uber recently took out a patent so that they can, um, they can determine based on calibrating your phone, if you're typing differently than you normally do, or if you're walking in a certain way that would indicate that you may be intoxicated. And also, it can, based on like the location, maybe you're at a bar and maybe other people that you're with at the bar have Uber and you're sitting in close proximity to them. This is information that can all be sort of gleaned. No longer are you able to um, take the day off work claiming to be sick because, well, your, your boss may never know, but all of these collectors of information, they know. I mean, we've seen um, a, lot of, a lot of information being collected also by personal assistant devices that we use, recordings, all, there's all this information that is out there and it can be put together into a, a profile that is very easy. Sometimes it's better than we, than, than we even know ourselves. So how about the election? What's going to happen? Is the election going to get hacked, you think? Oh, God. Are people doing enough to, for election security in this country? What a nightmare this is going to be if it gets hacked, right? It would be a total nightmare. Both sides will be yelling at each other. I mean, it, it, I don't even know what will happen. If the legitimacy of the election is called into question, I mean, with the, the tensions in this country, I'm concerned, right? I, I, I am too. I mean, we're going to see a lot of deep fakes. We're going to see a lot of social media um, propaganda that you may or may not know who it's coming from. I know uh, social media is trying to, the, the businesses are trying to show you more if this is a promoted or who it's being promoted by, but it's not going to be that easy. And it's important to remember the different parts of the election it's not just trying to get into a um, into voting machines. It's also all the different parts, like maybe different machines say, well, they're not connected to the internet, but at some point something is going to be connected to the internet in some capacity. And it's also not necessarily about hacking the machines themselves. It's about the registries and hacking into wherever the lowest hanging fruit's going to be, maybe to manipulate data or um, remove people or add people. So I think we're going to see a lot of this. And, and like you said, I think that it's going to get um, interesting. So in terms of cybersecurity, when you think about how cybersecurity is evolving and emerging technologies, what does the future of tech look like in your mind? We're going to have more integration of human and tech. Um, the way that we do authentication and identification is definitely going to change. Um, I do foresee that there will be a time where we use um, a wearable or even an implant to do our banking, to purchase items. Um, we're also going to start seeing a lot more managed services, a lot better AI 
And um, we're, we're going to see a lot more technology being used. We're going to see even more technology, which is also going to mean we're going to need to find better ways of securing this technology because we all have a personal network on us at all times and it's going to be even more expansive. And, but I do think that identification and authentication is going to definitely change. It has to. How about the workplace? I mean, I don't know if this is going to affect, you know, work from home strategies. I mean, I hear all kinds of things and it's still going back and forth. Oh, I mean, people are more productive when they work from home or they're not more productive. And then you still have this, you know, old fashioned view of, Hey, look, I hate working from home. Everybody has to be in the office. I mean, I know people who still, uh, you know, their bosses complain if they're, you know, they come in at 845 instead of 830. You know, I mean, it's just crazy, craziness. Not that anything happens between that time for that specific group, <laughs> but they just have to be there because they just have to be in the seat. Right. And I just, you know, it's just the craziness about the, uh, I don't know. What do you think about the technology and how it's going to affect the work, workplace? Well, I think that the way that we do work is going to change. I think a lot of jobs that people have now will be done by, um, by AI. Um, and I think instead of having a job are, are, that you go to every day, you, you're there, you know, nine to five or more realistically, you know, eight to seven, um, it's not going to be like that. And I also think people will have more than one job and you're already starting to kind of see this. You have um, a lot of influencers out there or, or people who have, um, you know, podcasts or they do a contract here, a contract there. I do think there will be um, more people that are working from home, but as AI is taking um, a lot of the jobs that we're doing now, we're going to start seeing new jobs come out. And I think that our kids will be doing jobs that we don't even know exist yet. Hmm. Interesting. So look, you mentioned before that you worked in federal law enforcement and you know, I know that there's, there can be some crazy cases that really just sort of define, you know, help define your career and, and things like that. Have you worked any strange or remarkable cases in your career you think are worth talking about? You know, I, I, I worked, um, all the cases that I worked were strange and they were bizarre. I think one of the cases that probably made one of the biggest impacts on me was an intrusion case where for some reason the hacker had, um, there was a core dump, something happened where stuff got every single step that this hacker was doing was saved in memory and um, I'm sorry, not in memory, but it was saved into a core dump. And I was able to see exactly what this hacker was doing, which is unusual. And it was funny because this person was trying to put a, to hack and show like a red herring so that, the, that we would go after one thing. But in actuality, you saw where the, this person was going after something else within the same organization. And that really got me thinking, wait a minute, maybe a lot of the really easy hacks that we're seeing are there to create confusion to keep us from looking at what the real problem is. How about social media? I mean, we've been talking about social media the last couple of episodes and the dangers of social media and being targeted on social media. How do you think social media has impacted businesses and the economy? 
We have a very strange situation with social media, and I don't know of another time in this country's history that we've ever had this issue. We have uh, social media companies. Every business has to have a social media presence. You just do. And if you don't have one, people think that it's very strange or it's very, very bizarre. Like if you go to a restaurant, you're going to go to Yelp. You're going to look up uh, reviews. And if the reviews are terrible, you're not going to go there. But we now have these businesses, social media companies, that have the ability to make or destroy a business based on placements, turning off an account, um, removing accounts, and I actually have a friend who is a major cyber influencer, and she has hundreds of thousands of followers, and she recently uh, got, she actually got hacked, and she, you know, worked with, with uh, Twitter trying to get her account back, and, um, you know, they, they said no, 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 until finally, you know, through kind of a social media campaign, she was able to get it back. But I thought it was quite interesting, too, because the data that's collected should be able to be used to verify that a hacker had taken over this person's account because they're coming in from different devices and different locations. Yeah, I don't see them being very cooperative in those investigations, quite frankly. I mean, they just have too many people and they really they just shove it to the side. And I don't know. On a separate note, I don't really think Twitter is very kind to cybersecurity professionals. Like, I don't, I'm not sure I see any value in Twitter on, in, in the cybersecurity world. If you go to Twitter, go on your account, go to your Twitter account, uh, and then search, you know, do a search for cybersecurity, you'll see all the latest, the latest uh, posts for cybersecurity. I mean, you know, hundreds of them, right? Start scrolling through them, and the people that are posted them have tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of followers, some of them, and the likes are like two, one, some none. You, you can go through, you can go maybe 12, 15 posts in a row, no likes at all. <laughs> I mean, these are very prominent people posting and, and, and Twitter just does not send out the, the post in the way they should. Their algorithms don't allow those posts to reach the people, in my opinion, that really care about them. So I, I don't know what's going on with Twitter. I mean, it's certainly not the people. It's not, I mean, they're there. They're definitely giving the effort. If you go there and you see what's going on in cybersecurity and Twitter, and I think I'm going to do like a, 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 a little segment on this in one of my episodes because it's just horrible. Twitter is horrible for cybersecurity people. I kind of feel like they just hate cybersecurity. <laughs> if you want to, yeah, if you want to, I mean, I, Instagram is much more friendlier to cybersecurity people, even though there's not a lot of people on Instagram for cybersecurity. But no, you'll, not, not, not so much. No, but your, your, but your post will reach a lot of people. Uh, people will read it. You'll see the, 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 the analytics you know, the, on the actual post itself come back much more in favor than they do on Twitter, which is kind of, kind of perplexing to me. I don't really understand what's going on, but and a lot of the young people use social media a lot more than uh, obviously older folks, um, and they have access to it where all the folks didn't even have you know, cell phones when they were younger. Right, exactly. Right? Do you think the current generations who's grown up with all this technology has an advantage over previous generations who's grown up without it? Yes and no. Um, I think that they have information at their fingertips. I mean, I remember um, if you had a question, you would always get the response, go look it up in the dictionary or the encyclopedia. And now you don't 
have to do that. The answer is right there. Within a second, you have access to that answer. So there's critical thinking skills that are different when you just can immediately access that information. I think that there's a lot more pressure on kids today. I think they have a lot more opportunities to start businesses and, and um, you know, get themselves out there. But at the same time, there's, again, more pressure. And I've seen, I, I've seen two-year-olds um, try to swipe a book because they thought it was a, a, an iPad. Um, and it's just interesting because they view, when you grow up with technology at your fingertips, you're used to it. You, you're, a lot of people have, before they were born, their parents were posting stuff about them on social media. So there's just a difference in how you're going to view technology if you grow up with it versus, you know, growing up where you'd go ride your bike and you'd have a lot of face-to-face conversations. And yeah, if you want to see a meltdown, you come to my house when the, 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 the router isn't working. <laughs> Kids go ballistic. They go ballistic, screaming and yelling. I don't know. What's, what's going on? What's going on? I was like, my iPad won't work. They, know, so. they, they do. And, and I mean, I've also seen kids sitting with each other and they're, they're actually texting each other. And it's just a different way of, of communicating and it's a different mindset. And it's interesting how we're integrating these, these generation, the, you know, baby boomers, generation X, millennials, and the generation below that, because we all see things differently. No, it's crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. All right, Tyler, we got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors, but don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with our special guest, author and national security expert, Tyler Cohen Wood. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. Email is having an identity crisis. It's just too easy for attackers to spoof trusted brands or even the government. That's why over 80% of email attacks are based on fake identities. The solution is to stop the fakes before they get to the inbox. That's why enterprises use Valley Mail. 
It's a trusted identity-based email security solution. Find out if your domain can be spoofed and request a complete free phishing analysis at bountymail.com. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem superconnector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure. Security-innovation.org or Google Signet S-I-N-E-T. Context Information Security knows that your development and engineering teams move quickly. Security testing should empower them, not slow them down. What you need is a solution that integrates their objectives and supports the bottom line. Getting your product out while protecting your customers and your brand. While traditional penetration testing is a great way to assure your systems after they've been built, it doesn't work for everyone. That's why at Context, we offer continuous security testing to help you build it right the first time. In fast-moving environments, continuous security testing allows your team to focus on the things that matter. Secure, agile development, speed of innovation, and building security into your products and systems from the ground up. Context has been helping organizations tackle the most complex security challenges for more than 20 years. Visit us today at contextis.com to learn more about how we can help you. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, author and national security expert, Tyler Cohen-Wood. So Tyler, in this last segment, I just want to talk a little bit about some of the cybersecurity presentations that you give. I know that you travel all over the world. You talk about a bunch of different things and a bunch of different topics in this space. What are some of the current cybersecurity topics that are in demand? What do people want to hear about? They want to hear about uh, ransomware, malware, um, the latest threats, um, what they can do to keep um, to, to make employees more cyber aware um, and they're really interested in um, also how people can keep themselves and their families secure because that's going to dictate also how they keep themselves secure when they're in the business environment too and 
I'm telling you, at, at no matter what the conference is, I always have people come up to me and they ask questions about personal security. What can they do? So people want to know what they can do to secure themselves. So those are huh? really kind of the biggies. How many, how many of these conferences do you speak at a year, you think? Um, quite a few. Usually about uh, one a month. Wow. And, and they're all different. Well, and so are they all in the United States or you, you travel no. different parts of the world? Yeah. No, um, Germany, the UK, Canada, um, the United States. Um, I, I got asked to speak in um, Saudi Arabia and Iran. I, I think I said that I wasn't able to do those ones. Um, <laughs> but yeah, really all over. And it's Fortune 100 companies all the way down to companies that are just starting up or associations like banking associations or a medical associations. So it really just kind of depends. So, uh, you know, we often talked about work-life balance. So you're real busy. You're all over the place. You're traveling all over the world doing presentations. You're writing books. You're doing consulting. What do you do in your spare time? And how do you manage well, it? <laughs> it's interesting. I, I, uh, I do Tai Chi and yoga. Um, and in fact, I can do the splits. I'm, nice. I'm a person in their 40s who can do the splits, which I think is pretty cool. Um, I also like bad reality TV. And I've <laughs> kind of become sort of an astrology hobbyist, which sounds weird, but I'll tell you how I got interested in it. I was speaking at a conference to teach um, social engineering techniques. And the first thing I said, which, you know, at the time was not necessarily the case, I said, you know, I'm also an astrologer. I said, does anyone here want me to do their chart? And about, I don't know, half the room raised their hands and I picked someone. I said, okay, so we'll do this. But first I need your name, uh, birth date, where you were born and um, the time you were born. And they're just shouting it out. And I said, okay, that's an example of information that you want to try to protect. You don't want to just give that out to anybody. And even after I said that, after the conference, I had so many people lining up to ask cybersecurity questions, but a lot more of them also wanted to, me to do their charts for them. And I was absolutely baffled so I'm like okay maybe I, I will get into this a little bit so I can use it more but I thought that was just absolutely hysterical. Tyler if people want to ask you to speak or invite you to speak at some of their events how do they get in touch with you? You can get in touch with me on um, on Twitter at at Tyler Cohen Wood you can find me on LinkedIn or you can also email me at tyler at cybergirlpower.com. Awesome. Hey, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, it was such a pleasure to have you. I can't wait to have you back. I hope you come back soon. I would love to. You guys are really fun. You too, Andy. Appreciate that. <laughs> All right. Brilliant. Thanks so much. It's time to go, folks. But before we do, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at CS 
hub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force Severed Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.